Nice. <laughs> is, that, is that the opener? Yeah, that's going in. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Back to the Movies, our special top 10 podcast series on my countdown through the top 50 movies of 1983. Uh, I'm your regular host, Matt Scalisi, and joining me this time <clears throat> is a, a new guest we've not had on Film Nerds before. Um, he's a he's a very good friend of mine. We've known each other for many, many years, and uh, I thought he was a good choice for this particular podcast uh because we're talking about trading places today the um the john landis directed comedy from 1983 which i think is number four on the list um but anyways i i I wanted our guest today to join me because he's among other things he is a stand-up comedian here in birmingham and uh a guy who has devoted a lot of his time and uh devotes a lot of thought to comedy and you know why it works, and and so I think he'll have something to bring to this, as this being the highest grossing comedy of 1983. Uh, Jason Roach is our guest today. So Jason, thanks for thanks for joining me, man. Hello, film nerds. That is the sweet, sultry voice you'll be hearing for the rest <laughs> of this podcast. But um, so I mean, <clears throat> here's it, it's been kind of a weird mix in. Uh, you know, Can we clarify that I do stand-up comedy? I don't consider myself you are, a stand-up comedian. Okay, well, that's a good distinction. I'm glad that you... But I do live in Birmingham, Alabama. <laughs> yes. But also, I think it's fair to say, though, that you devote a considerable amount of time to you know, thinking about comedy, basically. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things. So, you know, when we look at... I, I, you know, when I'm going through this this list of the top 50 movies of 1983, Mm -hmm. you know, there's been kind of a lot of comedies uh, that have, it's been a weird mix of comedy. Um, You know, there off the top of my head, there there have been some just straight bad ones that I I guess only made it through for random reasons. Like Like Porky's 2. Porky's 2 was riding a wave, you know, and, and Spring Break was another one that was basically, it's basically operates like a Porky sequel because that was so big the year before. So you had your sex comedy stuff. Right. But then you also had, you have a Monty Python movie that year that didn't actually do that well. It was Which one, one of, was, that? Uh, was that? It was The Meaning of Life. And it was oh. way early in the, um, in the, in the countdown. Sperm song in that That's right, yeah. So, you know, oh, there's kind that. of been, the, the weirder comedies were definitely towards the, the back end of the top 50. And, you know the ones that have been towards the top, I guess here, the ones that we've gotten more recently. Um, it, it's been it's been way more mainstream stuff. Uh, although, like Mr. Mom, that's a really mainstream comedy. You know, it's it's not going to offend anybody. It's it's kind of it's got a little bit of something for everybody to offer. It's safe. What is what was Mr. Mom? Was that PG? Or it's got to be PG. It couldn't have been any worse than that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he makes a grilled cheese with an iron, right? Right. That's right. <laughs> That's comedy. Risky Business is kind of a comedy, although not really. Um, you know, and and National Lampoon's Vacation to me, that's the that's kind of up there along with uh, A Christmas Story. Those those would probably be my two favorite comedies I've seen. Christmas Story was 83? Yeah, Gross. yeah. That might be my favorite so far what from the whole thing. It was way back there. It was like in the 30s. Oh. Um, but, you know, so it's been kind of a weird mix. And I think the ones that are closer to the top, maybe National Lampoon's Vacation as an exception to this. But 
they've, they've been a lot safer. They've been things where you look at it and you go, uh, the studios probably went like, uh, this will work. You know, they kind of figured out the formula and just went with it. And I feel like, and you, I hope that you're, that you're going to argue with me on this. Cause I'd like, I'd like for you to stick up for this movie, but watching this movie and I've seen parts of trading places before, but this, the, this is, this might be the first time I ever sat down and watched the whole thing all the way through. I don't know that it really works that well today. What? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, the oh bullshit. <laughs> See, good. I'm glad you're sticking up for it because here's here's my Why thing. Why doesn't it work? Yeah, here's my thing. That that just. What are three things that don't work for you? All right. I, yeah, that's good because th- these are just like some jokes that I feel like they really seem to have been like playing them up heavily. That I that didn't do anything for me. One is the stuff. The, the scene where they're on the train and everybody's coming into the train car, like, dressed in these yeah. costumes. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, man. I think they're so broad, the, those – these uh, – now, I guess I kind of like that Dan Aykroyd came in as a black guy. Blackface. But and, – and that's not – that might be, like, the third or fourth time that I've seen somebody in blackface in these 83 movies. So apparently it was not that big of a deal in 83. <laughs> Well, but, they also said uh, Negro a lot. Yeah, although those guys are the 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 um, the two bad guys, the uh, Mortimer and and uh, yeah, and I can't remember yeah. the other guy's name, but but those guys are clearly supposed to be racist though, and that's why they they even just flat out say the N word at some point, I think. Well, yeah, because they the don't bathroom. they don't want Eddie Murphy running their company because right. he's black. Exactly. But I mean, look, I like the. All right, so you don't I like, like the story. I like the. I like the concept. Of, okay, but hold on. Yeah, yeah. You don't like the. You thought the characters <laughs> were ridiculous, which, whatever. That was one of my favorite parts. That and, scene. Yeah, I and, guess it's the Jamie Lee Curtis bit of it that bothers me the most because it's so dumb that she comes in there doing the German accent. Well, it's a whole party of uh, New Year's. It's like a New Year's right? train, so it's not that out of place. But they weren't supposed to be. People partying on New Year's. They're supposed to actually be those people, though. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Let me t- I'm building up to my number one, by the way. This is in order from least bothersome to most bothersome. Okay, so what's the second thing that bothers you? Number two that bothers me on here, I think, is uh, just the fact that the the Dan Aykroyd, like, I, I, don't, I don't really get where they were going with... I, I didn't really hate Dan Aykroyd that much in the early part of the movies, but I feel like we were supposed to. I feel like he's, like, we're supposed to be laughing at all these terrible things happening to him. Or are we not? Am I wrong? Are we supposed to be feeling sympathetic for him? Oh, you're saying you weren't laughing, but you were like, oh, I feel bad? I felt a little bad for him, yeah. That he's, like, getting, you know, beat up for no reason. But listen, here's my number one gripe with it. And I feel like this was supposed to be the laugh of the movie. Basically, what happens to the main bad guy, his ultimate fate in the movie, is that he's raped by a gorilla. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was like, that really affected me as a child. (laughs) That was a huge fear of mine. To be raped by a gorilla. Well, They tape his mouth shut so he can't say anything to anyone. Then they put him in a gorilla suit, which, by the way, that's ridiculous, too. <laughs> there happens to be a gorilla on a New York subway. It was uh, Jim Belushi. And Jim Belushi is in costume as a gorilla that night because it's New Year's. Oh, uh, what? You know, 
it wasn't my fear as a child. I didn't realize that he was being raped by a gorilla. But that is only, what the joke is. Right. Well, there's a shot where his eyes get big. Yeah. Which is, I mean, like, gorillas have, like, three-inch boners. So it's not like... <laughs> so, you, so you're telling me it's not that big of a deal? Well, I'm saying it, it's not as bad as it could be. <laughs> My fear was that I couldn't communicate because his mouth was taped shut. Yeah, and that's so what... so couldn't get out of, like... That's what makes it extra rapey. <laughs> rapey is not a... You just named... Well, as... You just named, like, the best parts... <laughs> Your issue was everything good. No, I just don't feel like those jokes, I don't know, they don't... uh, It's a timeless movie because it's the question of, you know, uh, it's uh, nature versus nurture. I like the story and I like the basic premise that they have going on there. I guess what I I think is that the, the laughs don't really land today like they did then. And when I compare it to... Um, vacation, like to me, those jokes still really work. Like those jokes are still funny. I think if you showed it to an audience full of people today who has never seen that movie, I think they would still laugh at a lot of the jokes. And I'm not sure you would get that many laughs with Trading Places today. I think people would be involved in the story and they would be interested. Yeah. But I don't think they would laugh that much. Well, like vacation is like, Absurd, and not that trading places isn't absurd, but it's it does move a little slower. I well, mean, you're right; it's was, less of, of an absurd comedy. That's yet. what I was thinking when I was watching it. Yeah. Is that it doesn't hit you bang, bang, bang. And there are parts where you sort of feel bad for Winthrop, Dan Aykroyd's yeah. uh, character, but who doesn't hate the rich? Right. And so you it's don't. An easy you bad guy. You feel that bad, and it's also he doesn't even shave himself. Uh, well, and the big thing. This is like a big '83 thing that uh, we talked about this in the Risky Business podcast a little bit. I mean, it was clearly kind of like we're really hitting the age of money is everything in 1983, and so that seems to be coming up a lot in mm-hmm. these movies. And I feel like they're definitely sort of trying to hit on this idea of how much the stock market is built on taking advantage of people and that it's not really about all these people are so talented and skilled and that's why they make all this money. It's just that they're willing to screw people over and break the rules sort of, you know? Right. And, uh, so, I mean, I, I like, I like what, you know, I like that it sort of lives in that world a little bit and especially kind of the end scene where they're, where they're going in there to um, pull their big scam off, you know, the, the yeah. big orange, frozen orange juice scam. Concentrated one, yeah. Right. Um, but, yeah, and and I, I don't know. I guess I think, I think a, a big part of probably what made this movie that successful, and it made $90 million, which in 1983 uh, is insane. I mean, it would be, it would be like if you adjusted it, which they can do, you know, you, you can do the like in, adjust for inflation. It would be almost, um, it would be almost a two hundred million dollar plus gross. Which, like, for a comedy, that just doesn't happen. This is like absurdly big money for a comedy. Um, I think it's it must have had a lot to do with Dan Aykroyd and probably Eddie Murphy, especially. Oh yeah, both of them, both of them. 
And that's what was so great about the uh, train sequence that you had so much issues with is that Eddie Murphy gets to be from Cameroon. It's like Eddie Murphy being yeah. Eddie Murphy, and then well, and that's before like he really had not. If you look at his list of you know his filmography here, he was not doing that thing yet where Eddie Murphy's deal is. He goes and plays a bunch of different characters in every movie, you know? He didn't really start doing Well, I'm not that. even saying that. I'm just yeah. saying, like, how outlandish the guy from Cameroon was. And the yeah. laughing and, like... Right. I no, mean, I thought he kind of plays his, like, coming to America yes. character. Yes, yeah, but, exactly. But that was funny. And then the priest that the butler plays, he says something like, <laughs> Oh, religious, religion's good in moderation. And, and then you got Dan Aykroyd in blackface being a Jamaican. That's where it goes off the rails a little. You know what? Actually, probably my favorite. But they don't. Care. I was I was making I was mocking this part of the movie earlier, and just the part he plays in the story I don't like. But Jim Jim Belushi's character is maybe my favorite character of the movie, just because he's like the only the few scenes he has, he's just like partying. He's just having a good time the whole. He reminds me of one every, of your roommates. Yeah, he really does. Yeah. But this movie, and then I don't know. This movie completely stands the test of time for me. I watch it every uh, every holiday season. Well, see, did you grow up? And this is something I ask everybody that does these podcasts. Did you did you grow up watching this movie? Oh yeah. So this has been a part of your childhood, really. Like this movie. You when when do you think? How old were you? Do you think when you first saw this movie? Um, I don't know. All my ages blend together. <laughs> That's the title of your autobiography. <laughs> I was really young, though. I mean, I wasn't three, but I remember watching it. I maybe this is another thing that comes up in these podcasts a lot. Is a lot of the a lot of the guys that I end up talking to, like the Flanagan brothers, especially. Uh -huh. They they see these R rated movies at absurdly young ages, and I've I. Oh, there were a lot of boobs. I got locked out a lot of that stuff. I really was kept away from that stuff. And Trading titties was the working <laughs> title. <laughs> this movie is pretty. Uh, it is pretty heavy on that, and like again, maybe that's maybe some of that is. I think that's that's an era thing. Like that's definitely if you go and see a movie that is sort of comparable to if you go see an R-rated comedy today with big stars in it. You're not going to have topless women all over it. That's kind of a thing. of that, that seems to be an early 80s thing. Yeah, when they found out they could do it. When they were found out they were allowed to do it. Right. This movie is pretty subtle, though. Like, I found myself laughing at a lot of things that were just... They weren't huge, like, home run jokes. But, like, for Aykroyd in the Santa suit, that whole thing yeah. is hilarious. It's so he's gross. It's filthy, so pitiful, And yeah. he puts the smoked salmon in his shirt. <laughs> that was the, and then he's, like, eating it through his the beard. Word. That is actually... That was one of my favorite, like, sight gags is Dan Aykroyd <laughs> chewing on his... Like, pulling his beard out of his mouth as he's pushing salmon through it. Yeah. But then he's he's trying to frame... While he's in the Santa suit, he's trying to frame Eddie Murphy. And Eddie Murphy's <laughs> talking about how ridiculous it is. And he's throwing drugs in the trash bin. But right. he keeps all the... Marijuana. The joints, yeah. He keeps all the joints, and then there was another one where, um, when when uh, Randolph and Mortimer are are explaining commodities to uh, Billy Ray Valentine, and they go and they're talking about pork bellies, like which is used to make bacon, which right. you would find on a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich, right. and he looks right. Billy Ray Valentine looks right into the camera. Right. Yeah. Actually, it's the I only remember time that happened. That was a weird movie. little joke to do that, but that that was pretty funny, actually. Um, it worked. Yeah, it was good. 
Um, the the other thing um, that a lot of people talk about Jamie Lee Curtis. Obviously, I'm sure that one stuck with you as a young child. But yeah, she um, she actually has come out and said that she sort of regrets doing this movie, particularly because I, I guess probably because of the nudity. But she's she's I think she has sort of come out and said like that's really not what I want to be doing with my acting career is to be like the the chick in a movie because uh-huh. you know shortly before this. She was kind of an up and comer when she did Halloween, which was like the first thing she she really had ever done, and she was she got she got kind of some credit for that. She got a lot of respect for for what she did in that movie, and you know, eventually she became a pretty big name again, kind of in the later eighties. Um, and I'm sure some of that had to do with the fact that she was in this movie and it was so successful. But she she really is kind of I don't know I, I don't think she's she uh, regrets doing this. Jamie Lee Curtis regrets yeah, doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. There's quotes from her. Yeah. Oh, but then she goes on to do that, like "I Hate You" from High School movie. <laughs> oh yeah, that just came out. Yeah. What was that? Oh, you again? You That's again? That's what it was called. Yeah. Give me a break. <laughs> Jamie Lee's a dick. This is a good movie. She did a good job in this. Yeah, I don't think she says it's a bad movie. I think she. I think she mostly probably wishes that she didn't have. Uh, Footage of her boobs out there for her kids to find today. Oh well, whatever. Who's what kid goes looking for their mom's boobs? <laughs> I don't think they're looking for it. Maybe they just Google their mom's name and that's what comes up. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Did she never do any nude scenes? Ever I don't think again? she ever did it again. Really? No. Yeah. So she. It was like I, I, that was that was one of the that was one of the sort of reading interviews about this movie. She seems to be more negative about it, and definitely, oh, I don't think Eddie Murphy was at all. This was easily kind of the movie that launched his career, you know? I mean, I think he started, I think he was on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. He, he had already been on Saturday Night Live for a couple of years, and so he was <clears throat> he was making a name for himself. But, um, and he, he wasn't quite, uh, he, he wasn't the superstar that he would become. And so I think, you know, basically he did 48 Hours, and then he did this the next year, and pretty much between those two movies, making you know nearly a hundred million dollars each. I think he that, that was, this was probably the movie that made him go, yeah, I'm done with Saturday Night Live. I'm I'm bigger than that. Well, then also Delirious. Yeah, he had his stand up uh, his stand up movie, which those were still those were still pretty big uh, in in the eighties too. And yeah, um, I've had a couple of those already in eighty three. Actually, have you have you seen since I've got you on the podcast? Have you seen either um, Richard Pryor's stand up movie that he did, or uh, there was a there was a Cheech and Chong movie in eighty three that there's a lot of stand up in it. Like they sort of had these. It, it was uh, up in smoke. Uh, or I, no, I'm sorry. It was not up in smoke. It was. Uh, it wasn't like still smoking. It was still smoking. I know. I never saw. I I never watched a lot of uh, Cheech and Chong. Um, it was pretty funny. I um, I've not grown up being a Cheech and Chong fan, and I've always had preconceptions about it. Yeah. But their stand up stuff is actually really. Some of it's really creative, and and I've smart heard stuff. that they're good. I mean, I've heard them on tape before, but um. I haven't seen that movie, and I haven't seen, um, I guess it's, like, shameful to admit, but I haven't seen the Richard Pryor movie either. It's worth watching, man, because he was, uh, 
in 83 particularly, he was just coming off the incident where he almost died basically because he, uh, he set himself on fire with a, with a, uh, crack pipe basically. Oh. And so he, you know, he was like, he was sort of, is this, had gone I, clean and. In this one, does he talk about how, uh, he shoots his car so his lady can't drive it away and he shoots his car and then he gets arrested because he shot up his own car? <laughs> I don't. I don't, I don't remember one? if that was in it. Kind of his big thing in. Uh, I've seen bits and pieces of a lot of prior stuff. He has a. He has kind of the most memorable thing from this one is he plays a um, drug addict. He does like a whole bit where he is a. He's a crackhead basically, uh-huh. and uh, it's like sort of. It's like halfway sad. Even there are like moments of it where it's not really even funny. It's like sort of depressing. Yeah. And uh, it's almost like performance art type stuff. But then he has, he has a, um, you know, a, a lot of it's about drugs, basically, and like what he went through, sort of. Yeah, I don't think. No, I haven't watched that. Um, well, anyways, I mean, back back on back on this movie. I mean, I think I think you can definitely see Eddie Murphy having the sort of potential here. And and I think you mentioned it. The I mean, this this the scene on the train where he's where he's playing the the guy from Cameroon, that to me that's kind of the thing where you go, that's like the early sign of what Eddie Murphy would become so famous for and so well known for. Well, he he does it all throughout. He's this he takes the movie away. Yeah, this is all like Ackroyd is good and Ackroyd has good moments, but like Winthorpe's like a really boring character uh, until he until. Once he gets out of jail, he when he hits rock off. bottom, it's really yeah. yeah. But um, but Eddie Murphy as the homeless Vietnam vet, right. and he is acting like he has no legs. Now that's kind of a character too, I guess you could say. That's kind of like another alter ego that he's doing in the movie. So he does, yeah, he has that, and then, yeah. I mean, he's just a good. Uh, He's good all throughout the movie. Yeah. And he's good as the reformed Billy Ray Valentine. Right. Which basically happens immediately. I think my – one of the scenes where where he's not like in character where I really like watching him is when he – like right after he gets money, he goes to that bar <laughs> that he apparently I guess used to go to yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah. And he's just like – he's just like loving it. You know, he's he's like throwing cash at the bartender that he owes him. You know, that's just like a fun – scene where it's just Eddie Murphy like grinning the whole time. I was like the um the the two big guys who right. were in the jail with them. I always like that character and you see this kind of character in a lot of movies and he, it's just the deep voice that goes, "Yeah." Right. I I love that guy. Just the guy who's there's well there's two there's of them because there's one that's like but there's the one that talks and then and the, like <laughs> says everything but then there's the one with like an exceptionally deep voice who's just like yeah or like clearly that guy like yeah. can't read and they're just like we need another big guy you know <laughs> you mean the character can't read? no I mean like the actor the they're act- just like we just need another actor that's a big dude we just go to a, con- a construction site right can you say yeah really deep um. And yeah, also probably worth mentioning that um, John Landis directed this, who was also a pretty respectable name at this point, and that could have helped why this movie did so well, because I'm sure they, in part of the pitch, it was like the director of Animal House and the Blues Brothers, and uh, American Werewolf in London was kind of a big deal, too. People liked that. 
So, um, did you ever see that movie? I have not seen it, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm definitely. It's one of those that has come on my list because I've been reading other things about it um, here in '83, in, in part because uh, I think there's a connection to the guys that did the. Um, well, John Landis was one of the guys that did the Twilight Zone movie, but like the other guys he worked with were involved in American Werewolf. Look at all this. Um, it's like based on the marriage of Figaro, and and it's like got all these. Uh... Yeah. Oh, yeah. the The Wikipedia um, the Wikipedia entry goes deep on this thing. This is like the longest Wikipedia entry I've ha- I've seen on any movie where someone wasn't murdered on set, basically. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh yeah they're talking about that it's you know Prince and the Pauper type story and. Yeah, it's talking about parallels being drawn to um, the marriage of Figaro, like you said. And actually, um, I, I need to go. I need to go and look this up. And this will probably be in the written part of the of the review here. But you know, the um, the score, which actually was Oscar nominated, the score from Elmer Bernstein has it's like clearly based on a lot of classical music. Like you yeah. can hear that he like sort of took in the score. He took these like really well-known classical music bits that everybody could hum to. Right. And he, like, changed them a little bit and made them into the score of the movie, basically. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I don't know The Marriage of Figaro enough to know if that's part of the music that's being used in there, but that would be that would be interesting if that's what he's doing. Yeah, or it wouldn't be that interesting. Or not really, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or I'm just trying to beef this podcast up, but... Um, yeah, also, yeah. I, well, I think, so how about this? Do you okay. think, so the whole bet was, um, so what do you think, nature or nurture? You want to know what I think are based on the movie. What does the movie prove out? What does the movie, what does the movie prove out? Well, the movie, I think, I think it kind of ends up avoiding the question because it basically says these guys have no business doing this kind of social experiment on real people anyway. But I think what it's probably saying in the end is that, uh, you know, I think, I guess it probably argues for for nurture more so because Eddie Murphy is a screw-up until he gets given all these advantages and then he does okay. And Dan Aykroyd, likewise, would have completely bottomed out if it weren't for Jamie Lee Curtis taking care of him, basically. So, you know, once they take away all of his advantages, he's screwed. He's a mess. Yeah. But she does care for him. Yeah, I mean, she keeps him from, from completely but then bottoming But he does out. come out on top. So he, he goes to the bottom, but then he... But he got help. I mean, that's that's the thing is he's got he's got this woman taking care of him, basically. But she didn't... She, uh, she wasn't wise to the experiment. No, but she does... I mean, she does figure out... Basically, at some point he says, like, look... You know, oh, they're like cleaning I got shotguns, screwed. and she's yeah. like, "Look, it's Biggs. It's what Biggs, the the guy who gets right." Yeah, no, she suit. yeah she points out to him. Basically, they 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 end up figuring out that he got screwed and that this was a setup, and so she agrees to help him because he says, "I got one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in the bank, and I'll give you some of it if you help me, you know, get these guys." Basically, and that's mm-hmm. why she says when he's. When he's all sick and everything, she says, I'm just protecting my investment. Right. Because she's, if she helps him back up, then she's going to get some money. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's basically, that's sort of what they end up arguing towards. But then because they were messing with actual human beings and they're terrible people who, 
Billy Ray ends up overhearing that they're never going to actually let him stay where he is, yeah. then, you know, then it just doesn't, it stops being about that at a certain point and just becomes about, you know, we're going to, we're going to get these two old dudes who are ruining people's lives. And so do you agree with the movie? Do you think it's uh, nature? Or nurture, rather? I'd probably lean towards nurture for sure because I think, I really think, uh, it seems like people people having – I think you can definitely screw up a good thing. There's no question about that. There are people who have every advantage in the world and still screw it up. Right. And uh, and I'm sure vice versa. I'm sure there are really smart, good people who just have terrible luck and, uh, and don't have anything to back them up. But I do think – I think probably uh, – if you are given enough advantages, the odds are pretty darn good. You're going to, you're going to end up okay. And likewise, if you grow up in a, you know, in a situation where you don't, you don't have, you know, people who are taking care of you and, you know, a good school system and people around you to basically help you when you screw up and make sure that it doesn't have that bad of a consequences. I think you probably have pretty high odds of not turn, you know, of, a failure. So I, I think there's like, you know, it's not like a definite thing, but I would say, I would say it seems like your starting point in life has a lot to do with your odds of succeeding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I can see that because I want to, I want to argue that it's, uh, it's all, um, it's all, uh, nurture and, I want to argue that, but then I think about people from maybe a, uh, um, here in Alabama from a richer, uh, zip code who are morons and you've grown up with them and like you knew them as kids and they were morons. And then, and then they go off and have these like high paying jobs. Yeah. Cause because they got, cause they got to start higher up than on the, you know, all, all it basically became was. You know, just don't screw it up that much, <laughs> and you'll end up okay. Because you started so far ahead of everybody else. I think I think you can definitely, you know, there's there's room in either case. I think you can have every advantage in the world and if you make bad enough decisions and you and you also have bad enough luck. Because I think that's a part of it too. You know, sometimes you can just come along at the right place at the right time, and it all works out for you. Or the other way around. Sometimes you make the wrong decision yeah. at exactly the wrong time to do that, and you just get hammered for it. You know. Yeah. So I think there's room to come out of it either way. But I, like I said, it's more like an odds thing. I think if it's you know it's like if you want to look at it like sports, it's like if you're the team that's got all the best players, and you know you got a huge stadium with loud fans, and mm-hmm. you're playing at home. Are you talking about the Yankees? Maybe let's say let's say Yankees. Let's say it's the Yankees and the Pirates, you know, and 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 uh, you know the Yankees have all the advantages, and uh, their odds, you know, that th- that's not to say that stuff the ball couldn't bounce the right way, and somebody has a good night while somebody else has a bad night, and right. stuff times out right. Uh, the Pirates can win a game, but the odds are over. Over a seven-game series, the Yankees are probably going to win that one, you know, because they just have more advantages and they have th- their odds are better, basically, you know. So, I think that's that's what it comes down to. I think it's to me like 
you know, and I think that's one of, if you want to go look at 1983, it was, that's probably what there's, you know, why this, this story being set in the sort of world of the stock market was so interesting because, yeah, these guys are making a lot of money in the stock market, but for the most part, everybody that's involved in that game, you know, went to really expensive schools and probably the way they got to those schools in the first place was they had really rich parents who also went to those schools. And, you know, that we get that little crowd of oh, those yeah. guys wearing sweaters singing their little <laughs> acapella song to the Zeta. girls. Yeah, I yeah. can't remember the fraternity. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just like <laughs> so lame. But, you know, that's that's like I, I think that's they, they, they sort of end up walking around thinking like I'm here because I worked hard for it, you know. And so everything everything I do and all my decisions that I make are inherently better than all these poor people's decisions because, uh, you know, I must be rich because I'm better than them. Well, that's how Winthorpe thinks. Right. All in the beginning of the movie. And then, and then, uh, Ophelia looks at his hands and they're all soft and and babyish. Right. Because he doesn't do anything but sign checks. And, and, you know, and so basically it takes them like a day to teach Eddie Murphy the uh, the the basic like concepts of what they're doing there, and as soon as he learns it, he's like, you know, he's just basically using reasoning to go like, well, I would, you know, it's it's the winter time, people are going to be buying, you know, people 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 are going to be buying lots of right. Pork he or whatever. It, yeah, he compares it to a bookie. Right. He yeah. gets it immediately, and that's basically what it is. Yeah, it's just playing. It's just playing simple odds, and so, you know, I think that's that's to me that's an interesting idea. I guess that this movie looks at is. And that's why they, like I said, that's why they probably set it in the stock market because it's this place full of people who clearly think that they're so successful because they're, you know, smarter than everyone else. And this sort of that that ends up leading to even in the '80s, shortly after '83, uh, ended up leading to you know people making all these arrogant bad decisions that led to the economy crashing. And it's really what ended up happening recently here too. You know, it's just people thinking. You know, this is this is a good idea because I had it, and because I've made a lot of money before, so yeah. I don't really care that it sounds stupid. It's going to work out for me. Yeah, you know, look at me. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. It's like it, what is it? Blank slate? Are you born with like innate yeah, knowledge? Yeah, that's exactly or, right. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Or do you? Are you like a blank slate? Yeah, that's basically the argument here. So I don't know. I think uh, we're probably uh, more or less blank slates. Yeah, I think so. I think I think I think mostly. I think that's I think that's probably true. So I guess uh, I guess it's nurture. Okay. Problem solved. <laughs> Done. <laughs> next week we're talking about what are you talking is about? The, next the mind and the brain. No. Well, thank. But thank you for also going through trading places with us because uh, it's. And and look, you've 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 definitely helped me. I think respect it a little more as a movie. I still I still don't think it will get a lot of laughs today to a, te- a contemporary audience. But I think it's a it's a you well, know, it's a good movie. Yeah, it hold it, it's it's a good story. It holds up that it's way. It's a good story and it's funny and it's you know you can you can always you can root for the bad guy and you can hate rich people and yeah and uh, Eddie Murphy's in it. Yes. Good Eddie Murphy. Good Eddie not, Murphy. Not 
haunted house or what what's that stupid <laughs> haunted mansion yeah. not pluto nash eddie murphy <laughs> good eddie murphy 83 eddie murphy not uh what was that one what was that one where he was a fat lady <laughs> what was that called norbit norbit yeah did you ever see norbit no i didn't see norbit <laughs> my little cousin wanted to see norbit and then i knew i shouldn't see it well all i'll say is the highlight is that when he's the fat lady She's so fat that she honks the horn of her car with her boobs <laughs> by flexing. Uh, maybe I'll go back and watch Norbit. <laughs> All right, and uh, please join us next week, too. We're going to be looking at number three on the countdown, which is Flashdance. And, uh, I also have things to say about that, but I don't, I've listened to your podcast, and I don't think it's appropriate. Okay, well, thank you for keeping your flash dance thoughts to yourself. I still haven't seen it yet, so... Oh, really? No. Uh, so don't... What do I have to look forward to? Well, put your kid to bed. Okay. <laughs> Will do. All right. Well, thanks, Jason. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Bye, nerds. <laughs>